Well, hello everyone. Welcome again to our Pikes Peak Christian Church online service. We're so glad that you could join us. Uh, and it's been exciting to see many of you from across the country, even the world, join us on Sundays. But I'm also excited today to announce that on June 14th, we will return to live services on our campus. And we're so excited to see you in person again. So if you live in the area and uh, you're in a healthy position, we hope to see you back in church services. It'll look a little different than it normally does. We'll have some precautions in place and some seating restrictions, but um, it'll be church and we'll be, we'll get the fellowship and worship together. So uh, I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to preaching to a live audience instead of an empty crowd like I do currently. And we are going to ask you to help us with social distancing. So ladies, uh, if, if you could help us dress, dress appropriately, that'll help us to do the social distancing. Here's an example of how you might dress on Sunday. <laughs> you know, I'm just kidding. Uh, come as you are. Uh, it will be safe and and masks are recommended but not required. And anyway, we'll get you more details about that uh, in the upcoming communications from our church. You know, I've noticed that a lot of people are voicing their opinions on one side or the other online. And they range from, from a high focus on safety, which is good, and a, and a high focus on freedom, which is also good. And neither one of those values trumps the other. And so rather than just uh, presenting where you stand, I wanna encourage you to do something that I think is very Christ-like. Uh, be kind and be understanding. It would really speak well of us if we would do more listening than talking and show people that we truly do care about them and also that we're not afraid of the environment, but we do want to serve people like Christ serves. And so I confess, I don't know what it's like to lose a family member or friend to this virus. I don't know what it's like to lose my job or have my business closed because of this virus. I don't know what it's like to make decisions that affect literally millions of people. And I don't know what it's like to have a body that probably couldn't handle the virus if I was infected. And so it just requires all of us to be a lot more compassionate and understanding than maybe we've been up to this point. You know, the, the goal was never to eliminate this coronavirus. It was just to mitigate the effect of it, to, to flatten the curve is, is how they said it, and to keep our hospitals from being overwhelmed. I think we've done a good job with both of those. The, the only curve we're still <laughs> trying to flatten is the one uh, on our stomachs, but we've done a good job with it. And so many churches and businesses are poised to return to somewhat of some normal activity with, with, with precaution as is expected. And so someday I think we'll look back on the year 2020 and realize that there were some significant changes in this time of our lives, uh, hopefully changes for the better. And that's really our goal of going through this series we're in called Turning Point. Just, we're looking back at a group of people called the Israelites, going way back in the Bible, a few thousand years, to when they wandered in the wilderness. It, it was supposed to be a rather short journey, but it ended up being 40 years. And the reason it took 40 years is because God was trying to teach the Israelites some very profound lessons of how they were to walk with him. And so I believe as we walk along with those people, we can learn some very similar lessons because they had left Egypt. Remember the story, they were slaves in Egypt for 400 and some years and they cried out to God and God raised up a servant named Moses and Moses led them out from Egypt after a series of plagues, led them to the Red Sea where God parted the waters and they passed through and they ended up in this wide open desert. And so behind them was Egypt and in front of them was this place called the Promised Land, a place of plenty, of bounty, a, a land described is flowing with milk and honey. But for the present, they were in this place in between. And that's kind of how we are. We're, we're past where we were 
back in January and February. We're not going to go back to how life was back then. And yet we don't really know what life will look like for the future, but I can promise you God has good things in store for us. We're, we're in this period in between. And it's in the space in between that God deals with the space within, the space within us, in our, in our heads and in our hearts, the things we're thinking, the things we're feeling. And I believe God's doing some great work in you and in me during this time. And we don't want to miss out those lessons. We want to listen to the Lord and respond the way he wants us to respond. And so we're going to pick up the story in Exodus chapter 17. And I believe there's a very big lesson that uh, will apply to so many of us in this season of our lives. Now, just to give you some context, the Israelites came to a place called Rephidim. And in that place, they cried out for water. And Moses talked to the Lord. And God told him to strike the rock with his staff. And water came flowing out. And then we pick up the story in Exodus chapter 17, verse 8. This happened right after they camped at Rephidim. Then Amalek came and fought with Israel at Rephidim. Exodus 17, 8. I think the Israelites were probably just stunned. They, they just escaped one army and they're, they're relaxing, drinking water, getting refreshed, when out of the blue comes this army of Amalekites and they come toward them. And, and these aren't fighters. I mean, the Israelites weren't trained to fight and now they found themselves in a position where they've got to defend themselves. You know, if you choose to follow Christ, one thing I just have to tell you is you are going to face conflict sometimes when you least expect it. There are going to be attacks on you that come uh, from outside of you, from around you, in, in ways that sort of blindside you. You know, years ago when I was in graduate school in Cincinnati, I worked for a, a widow who lived on the edge of town. And she had a big piece of property. Her husband usually took care of it, but he passed away. So I came out and I mowed her lawn and I, I cleaned the edge of the pond, I pulled weeds, I picked up apples that fell off her apple trees. And one day I was cleaning up some old wood in her yard and I came to this wooden planter. And I reached down and disturbed some of the wood in that planter. And I must have disturbed a, a bee's nest because, a bee's hive. Because as soon as I rattled that box, some bees came darting up and I stepped back and I realized they weren't very happy. And so I took off running. And those bees were running in hot pursuit of me. And I was zigging and zagging through the trees. And I would glance behind me to see if the bees were coming. And sure enough, they were like laser-guided missiles. I mean, I dodged left and right. And finally, three of those buggers stung me in my shoulder. It really smarted. And, and you know, when you disturb something like that, uh, it comes after you. It attacks you. And many times when you follow Christ, you don't realize it. But there are people who are going to be disturbed by how you live your life. They're going to they're gonna be rattled a little bit and they're going to come after you. And so, so just be prepared. There'll always be some attacks on your life. And right now, you may feel a, an attack on your mind. I mean, a lot of confusion about what's going on in the world, what's going on with this virus, a, a, lot, of, a lot of attacks on your emotions, on this fear and worry and concern and, and attacks on relationships where, where maybe you've been sparring with someone who has a disagreement with you. Or, or maybe some other issues have come up in, in your job that's caused tension. I mean, there's an attack on relationships. Even in your own marriage, in your own family, spending all this time in our homes cooped up together has caused some tension for a lot of us. And then, of course, these, these uh, attacks on the flesh. I mean, out of, out of a kind of depression, we overeat. Or we get lazy and just watch TV all day. Or we, we are drawn to 
dive into pornography or maybe addictive behaviors with drugs or alcohol, all kinds of things, the attacks on the flesh. I mean, we call this period we're in right now, at least in our state, it's called safe at home. And I have to tell you, sometimes home can be a very dangerous place. And the only place you'll really be safe is, is in Christ. He is a refuge in the midst of the storm. But I have to tell you, even in Christ, Jesus never promised uh, it was going to feel safe because he says, in this world, guess what? You're going to have trouble. It's going to come. You're going to suffer. You're going to be attacked. It's going to be hard. But he says, I am with you and I'll give you peace. See, one of the most um, spoken words from the Lord in all scripture is, is this phrase, fear not, for I am with you. So he's not going to remove all the dangers and all the attacks and all the conflict around us, but he is with us. He'll help us through this. So Moses knows God is with them. He's been the pillar of uh, a cloud by day and fire by night. And so here's what happens in verse nine. Moses says to Joshua, choose for us men and go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. There's a two-pronged strategy. One is Joshua, you get the men together, you, you prepare them, you are going to start fighting the Amalekites. Meanwhile, I'm going up on the hill because up on the hill, I'm going to intercede in prayer to God. It's a two-pronged attack. I call it the ground game and the air game. This ground game is, is the boots on the ground. It's the conflict with the enemy. But up on the hill, Moses is... is in charge of the aerial assault. I mean, he is going to be raising up prayers into heaven to the God who's, who's done so many things for him in the past. He knows that both of those are needed. He needs both. Joshua's men, they're untrained. They, they've never fought before, but don't discount their toughness because these men have been mistreated for years by the Egyptians. They've been making bricks. They're, they're strong, they're tanned. And they're, they're ready to knock some heads together. So I, I don't think Joshua's men have an issue with going to war. But it doesn't mean necessarily that they're the better army. Moses, up on the hill, gets away from all the conflict below. I think, first of all, because up on the hill, he's undistracted. He can focus on God. But I think there's another reason is up on the hill, Moses can be seen by the men. Uh, because when they're fighting and they look up and they see Moses with his arms lifted in the air, they know that he's praying for them and that God is on their side. And both of these, the, the ground game and the aerial assault are essential. I mean, think about it. Our military uses both of those. Football <laughs> uses both of those. You've got a, a ground game and you've got the aerial attack. And both of those work together. The team that, that has the strongest of both usually wins. And so that is so true of our spiritual lives. Now, Moses, when he goes up to pray, he takes his staff with him. I'm not talking about his administrative staff. Uh, he's, he's got his shepherd staff. And this shepherd staff has been very special for him. If you remember way back early on in the book of Exodus, when God calls Moses, Moses is very nervous about being used by God and going to confront Pharaoh. So Moses Ask God, how in the world are people going to give me any credit? I have no authority with them. And God says, hey, 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 Mo, what's in your hand? And he says, uh, just my staff. And he says, good, throw it down. So he throws his staff on the ground. It becomes a serpent. Whew. And God tells him to pick it up, takes the snake by the tail, 
and boom, it's a, it's a, a stick again, it's a staff. And God then uses that as, as kind of a representation of his power. There's, there's no magic. It's not like the Egyptians who said they had magic wands. It's not a magic wand, but it's, it's a symbol. It's a physical symbol to remind Moses that God is with him. And so when Moses goes back to Pharaoh, he takes the rod and he touches the, the Nile River and the, the river turns to blood. And then when they're, they're coming out of Egypt and they come to the Red Sea, what does Moses do? But he, he lifts up his staff and he holds it over the Red Sea and he prays and God parts the waters. And then when he's at Mount Horeb, as we saw last week, and the people are crying out for water, God tells him to take his staff and strike the rock and he strikes it and water flows. And so Moses knows this is, this is a critical piece of equipment. This is the secret weapon. And, and it's just a piece of wood. It's just a simple piece of wood, but it's, but it's representative of God's power. You know, I think there's a great lesson for all of us that sometimes God wants to use something in your life that's so meaning, meaningless and seems so mundane, but he says, you know what? If you surrender that to me, I can do great things with it. Could be a pen, could be a paintbrush, could be a drumstick. I don't know. God can take what you surrender to him and use for his glory. And so Moses goes up on the hill to pray. Now we see both of these, the ground game and the aerial attack in scripture many places because victory requires two things, human involvement and divine intervention. Human involvement and divine intervention. There are two parts, both essential, but not by any means equal because the part that we play is very small compared to the part God plays. And we're gonna see that in this story. But at the same time, both are very critical. God wants us to be in partnership with him. And he often calls us to do something. And sometimes it seems very mundane, but he calls us to act in faith so that God then can show himself faithful to us. So let's take a look at that. The first thing is our commitment to act is called obedience. That's the, that's the human part, our obedience. It's what we do. Now you might think, why didn't Moses just have everybody go up on the mountain to pray? Why didn't he tell Joshua, hey, get a group of men together. We're going to go up and have a prayer meeting on the mountain. Uh, that's how we're going to defeat the Amalekites. No, he did both. We, we need people fighting because those are the people God's going to use. I'm going to pray that God gives them strength, gives them power, gives them victory. And God asks for both because he wants us to have some skin in the game. He wants us to, to not just pray. He wants us to, to be active to pray and obey. And I'll give you some examples. There's so many examples of this battle technique in the Old Testament. For example, when the Israelites 40 years later end up going into the promised land, the first stop is a city called Jericho. It's a very fortified city. And so God tells them to do something very peculiar. He says, every day I want you to get your men together, get your army, you're not gonna fire a shot. What you're gonna do is march around the walls of the city. That's all you're gonna do. Second day, do the same thing. Third day, fourth day, fifth day, sixth day. They, all they do is walk around the city. Seventh day, God says, now I want you to walk around seven times. And at the seventh time, I want the priest to blow the ram's horn. And I want the people to yell out a great shout. And when they do that, the walls will come down. And that's exactly what happened. The walls came down. The Israelites rushed in. They took Jericho. The human participation uh, and, and the divine intervention all work together for victory. We see that when a group of uh, armies came together to go against a king named Jehoshaphat. 
Jehoshaphat knew he was overwhelmed, didn't stand a chance, so he called all the people to come together to pray. And they pray to God, and they cry out, saying, God, we don't know what to do. We're going to be defeated. And God gives some instructions of how they were to fight the war. And it's just really bizarre. He says, here's how you're going to do it. Tomorrow morning, when you go out to battle, put the singers at the front of the battle lines. And as you go forward and they sing, then I will perform on your behalf and give you victory. And so the next morning, they, they do that. Now, can you imagine being one of the singers at the front of the lines of the war? You have no weapon except your voice. Maybe your voice is really bad. I don't know, but they're there at the front of the line, marching forward. They begin to praise God, and, and God instantly causes the other armies to turn on each other and actually defeat each other. And so, so really, Israel just goes in and cleans up and captures the spoils. Human participation. We see that in so many of Jesus' miracles where he's healing people. He tells a man... Pick up your mat and walk. He, he tells another man to heal his blindness. Go wash the mud out of your eyes and you'll be able to see again. There's, there's a part that we play. It's not that we're achieving it or earning it, but God wants us to participate with him. It's kind of like what Paul said, that, that he plants seeds and Apollos waters them, human activity, but God provides the growth. See, if, if you don't give God seed to work with, God can't cause the growth. And we know God causes the growth and God causes exponential growth. But you've got to give him something to work with. That's our obedience. That's the thing he's calling us to do. And faith isn't an excuse not to act. We, we don't say, oh, I just believe and so I'm just trusting God to do what he's promised to do and I'm just praying he does it. No, faith actually expects God to act. Uh, it, it's not an excuse not to act, but but faith says, when I act, God is going to come through because I'm doing what he's told me to do. Years ago, when I was at a church in Arizona, we had a, a guest speaker come into a staff meeting. And he, he was an insurance agent. He ran a company of, an, of, of was training up a lot of these younger insurance agents. And one day, when he was in the elevator of his business, he met a man and began to talk about insurance. And the man said he would like to buy a, a half million dollar life insurance policy. And this, this other man said, hey, Rather than me sell it to you, I'm going to send you one of my students today. And when they ask you to buy a policy, you'll sign it with them. And he agreed to do that. So then when this, this, this leader came back and had all of his students, all of his trainees that he's training to sell insurance together, uh, they struggled. Every day they just struggled. They couldn't sell a policy to anybody. But on this day, he said, hey, there's a man in this building that I met on the elevator today. He said he is ready to buy a half million dollar policy to the first person that asks him. And you know, those people shot out of that room. They started going to various floors in that building. By the end of the day, when they, they regathered, they sold something like 20 insurance policies. What was the difference that day? Is because they went out with expectations of victory. I think that's so critical. When we, when we have prayed and then we've obeyed, we can expect God to show up. We can expect God to give victory. And it may not look exactly like we want it to look, or it might not be in the timing that we choose, but God promises victory when we do that. And so both of those work together. We do our part. We do the human part. We obey. But then we also do open up the door to the divine intervention. That's, that's the prayer part. Our, our commitment to pray is reliance. Our commitment to act is obedience. Our commitment to pray is reliance. I heard once it said that we should act like it all depends on us and pray like it all depends on God. Uh, it's not an either or, it's both. We do both. We, we act to the best of our ability and we pray 
like crazy, obedience and reliance. And so here's what happened in the story. Here's the effect of this ground game and aerial assault and how they won the battle. So Joshua did as Moses told him and fought with Amalek while Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. And whenever Moses held up his hand, Israel prevailed. And whenever he lowered his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands grew weary, and so they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it, while Aaron and Hur held up his hands, one on one side and the other on the other side. And so his hands were steady until the going down of the sun, and Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the sword. I mean, the headline on the news probably would have said, Joshua wins the battle with Amalek. But we know, in seeing the full story, the real battle was won up on the hill with Moses. Because when Moses raised his hands in prayer with his staff in one hand, they were gaining victory. And when his hands tired and came down, they began to lose and the army of Amalek began to dominate over them. You know, it's hard to keep your hands raised up for a long period of time. When I was a children's pastor, I inherited a puppet ministry and we'd have these heavy puppets we'd put on our hands and, and tell the kids stories. And I thought that was really cute until I did one of those stories that lasted about five minutes. And by the end of the story, my puppet was just drooping over the edge of the stage because it was so hard to keep my hand up for that length of time. And can you imagine Moses standing hour after hour in the hot sun, crying out to God with the staff lifted and his arms, I mean, he's over 80 years old. His, his arms are getting weak and coming down and her and Aaron are with him and they notice the guys are losing down there. Got to help Moses pick his arms back up and eventually... Um, they put a rock beneath him. He sits down. He raises his hands, and they just hold his arms up. And as long as they do that, they win. And they do that until the sun goes down, and they've defeated the Amalekites. It's an incredible, incredible moment of, of intercessory prayer. Now, I want to apply this to our lives because sometimes we get caught up into trying to do it all ourselves. I mean, we do the human intervention part, like, I'm going to make it happen, and we get frustrated. We don't see good results. But there's another extreme of just saying, I'm just going to pray about it. I'm just going to pray about it. Sometimes you may have someone tell you, you just need to pray. Well, it's true. You just need to pray. But you, you need to do more than just pray. And so there are a lot of areas in our life where you need to exercise both obedience and reliance. For example, if you got laid off during this COVID crisis, and you're praying for God to provide you a new job. Get all the people you can praying for you, praying hard for you. They got to open up doors and get you down the right path. But you have to get out there somewhere. You've got to meet people and talk to people and let, let it be known what you can do for them. And so it, it takes both of those working together. If you're feeling sick, have people pray for you. I'll pray for you. Let me know. I would love to pray for you. But you probably also need to go see a doctor. You need to do your part. Because sometimes God uses our medical professionals as part of his healing process. If you're struggling with an, a, an addiction that's just eating away at you, pornography or alcohol or drugs or some other addictive behavior, you need people interceding for you in prayer and fighting that area of salt because there's a spiritual battle over your soul. But, but you also need to do some things yourself. You need to go to a counselor. You, you, you should probably go to something like Celebrate Recovery, which our church offers to get your help. God uses that, that partnership to bring healing to your life. If you're feeling depressed, of course, pray about it. Have people pray, but but maybe you ought to go out and start helping some other people and serving because it's been found that but focusing on other people can be very helpful in breaking someone out of depression. And maybe you've got someone in your life, family member, a friend that doesn't know the Lord, and you've been praying and praying that, that someday they would know Jesus like you know Jesus. 
And you know, one of the interesting things during this whole crisis is we've been doing online service and several people have told me that they have coworkers, they have family members, people who'd never walk into the church, people who don't claim to be Christians, who feel safe in their own home to investigate this whole church thing that we're involved in. And so it's great that you're praying for them, but maybe you take the next step and invite them into a conversation. Maybe invite them into your house or take them out for coffee or, or maybe invite them to a live service at church. God, God wants us to partner with him through obedience and then, and then through reliance on prayer. And those, those both work together as a winning combination. After this whole event, uh, this cool thing happened. It says, Moses, in verse 15, Moses built an altar and called the name of it, the Lord is my banner. You know, armies back in biblical times and even today rally around a banner. A banner is just another word for a flag. You know, every, every nation has their flag. And I don't know how other nations feel about their flag. I feel a lot of emotions about our flag. I, I think of the, even the song, the, the Star Spangled Banner. I remember in 1991 when the Persian Gulf War broke out. And Whitney Houston sang the Star Spangled Banner at the Super Bowl. It was a moving, riveting time. And, and man, the emotions involved in that song, it's, it's just a flag, it's just a piece of cloth, but it represents sacrifice and dedication and people who gave their lives for the freedoms that we have. And so the banner of our flag means so much. When, when those men on the island of Iwo Jima during World War II hoisted the American flag up. I mean, that was such a precious moment, uh, such a beautiful moment in our history because that flag means something to us. And on this Memorial weekend, many of us will remember the flag and we'll remember those who gave their lives for this country and be grateful. But as Christians, we have another standard, another banner that we're under because almost 2000 years ago, God raised up his son on a wooden pole, on a cross, and on that cross, Jesus fought a battle that you and I could never win, the battle with sin and the battle with death. And Jesus won both when he rose from the dead. And every time I see a cross, something stirs within me because it inspires me to want to live my life for Jesus because he gave his life for me. He shed his blood for me. And we live under the banner of our Lord, the banner of the cross and what he's done for us. Victory requires both our human involvement and divine intervention. And you may indeed feel like you're under attack, but I wanna encourage you, stay in the battle. Stay in the battle. Stay focused on prayer, whether it's you praying or having people around you pray for you. And then do your part in being obedient to the things that God calls you to do. And I promise you, if you do those two things, obedience with reliance, you're gonna win the battle. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for Jesus. Thank you for this weekend when we remember the sacrifices of so many. And Lord, we, we are grateful for those who fight for freedom and so grateful for Jesus who fought for not only our freedom on this earth, but freedom for eternity. And so we give you praise for this. Thank you, Lord, that you fight on our behalf when we just submit ourselves to you, raise our hands in prayer to you, raise our hands in surrender to you and offer our lives to you. We, we give you praise for that. In Jesus' name, amen.